1: Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered
0: by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh. The following is a special broadcast
2: exclusively from the sure Dog Radio Network. S You're getting beat down after the bell. Of UFC 202, Diaz versus McGregor 2 here on the sure Dog Radio Network. The score has been settled, or even we're headed for a rubber match, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, tonight, Conor McGregor gets it done. He earns a majority decision, two judges, 48-47. For the Notorious One. One judge, 47-47. Two judges right here on the SRN. Myself, TJ DeSantis, and Jordan Green. Jordan, were you like me and the lone dissenting judge having the bout 47-47?
0: Yes. I mean, as, as much as it pains me to say, I did share... A similar scorecard, the draw, 47-47 scorecard, with longtime Las Vegas low-level political operative and often not successful political candidate, Glenn Trowbridge.
2: Uh, I mean, we've shit on Glenn Trowbridge plenty of times on well, this he radio is, program.
0: He is both not a good MMA judge, but he's also very much not a good boxing judge, but he has very much sway in the athletic commission. He's one of these guys that, like, like he's one of the classic examples of a dude who is uh, like that low-level political player who's, you know, never going to be a, a congressman or a, you know, a governor or anything like that. He's a dude running for comptroller and weird political positions in the state that you've never even heard of, and. The Nevada Athletic Commission's just always been one of his things. He's always been a preferred boxing MMA judge, unfortunately. Typically not very good. However, blind squirrels find nuts. I feel obviously uh, on pure action, pure merit, pure instant classic status. I'm going to go back and watch it and kind of you know reassess how I feel about the fight or see if my uh, my secondary scorecard matches up but I feel good about a 47-47 scorecard
2: as do I I mean this was a very interesting and fun fight it looked like Conor McGregor was going to take over in the early part and really never let go Nate Diaz uh his his front leg was completely toast uh, after the first 5 minutes after the second 5 minutes 10 minutes into the bout he looked like a horror show and Ultimately, in the third round, while he was bloody, battered, but far from beaten, he took over. And he took over in a big way. That's the round in question. I got to go 10-8, round number three for Nate Diaz.
0: Yeah, I mean, Conor McGregor dropped him at multiple points. Uh, he dropped him in the first round. I believe he dropped him twice in the second, as credited by FightMetric. Uh, but it's 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 not the same thing. You know what I mean? There's a reason that you know MMA scoring isn't just bean counting. You're not just adding up punches, adding up strikes, right. adding up knockdowns. Uh, yeah. Regardless of whether or not McGregor was all over the mat, Nate Diaz just raked him with repeated clean hard strikes that had him running away and not being able to defend himself for you know, prolonged periods of time. It's exactly what, you know, kind of, uh, you know, like there's a lot of ways to get a 10, eight round. There's a lot of ways to dominate someone. It's not like McGregor didn't compete in the round. He landed shots in round three, especially early on. But once Nate Diaz really took over in that last two minutes, it was an absolutely lopsided beating. And most incredibly McGregor had maybe his best round other than the first in the fourth.
2: Yep. No, uh, absolutely, and uh, I made this quote-unquote bold yet not-so-bold pick uh, on Twitter today. I said, Diaz by stoppage or McGregor by decision, and uh, I was chatting with Eve Edwards earlier in the evening, and he was like, there's no way that this fight goes the distance, and there's no way that Conor McGregor wins this fight. Uh,
0: Well, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's so charming about the fight. Like, clearly, I, I think we can probably agree that lullar con, its the only thing that even holds a remote candle to this and if you're someone that ascribes a particular value of uh big fights or you know kind of you, you know like your your uh your big ticket price items mm. when they actually when everything goes off without a hitch and like we'll get to that because the thing is all of ufc 202 pretty much banked especially the main card no doubt uh but um you know if you're the kind of person that that puts a significant stock in that kind of abstract thing there is no better fight this year you know this is we'll see what the the months of october november december have in store for us but it's hard to imagine that we're going to top something that's both this big mm-hmm. and this good in actual practice when it plays out in the cage right
2: no doubt so,
0: so I mean, in light of that, the thing that I think is is, is so good uh, about this particular fight is one of the things we talk about, like with MMA fights, and, and I mean, Greg and I talk about this a lot whenever we do radio uh, and like boxing, MMA, and classic fights, and that kind of thing comes up. There's a divide because boxing with 12 rounds and 15 rounds, and you know, decades past. You, you kind of get this roller coaster effect where you get stories that play out over the balance of a fight. And MMA usually being three, five minute rounds, is kind of a sprint to the finish. And even in a five round fight, like you know, the, our, the classic fights, you know, the, the top 10, 20 fights in MMA history, this is a reason that a lot of them were 25 minutes. Like that's the kind of length that allows elite fighters to both show off their skill and technique, but create kind of a, a dramatic narrative in the cage against a a worthy opponent, and I mean I, that's that's exactly the kind of thing we got here, man. Like this is this is modern classic type stuff.
2: Yeah, no, I I really think so. You mentioned uh, Condit Lawler. I, I think that was fantastic. I think that's probably fight of the year, and I think it should be fight of the year.
0: Lawler uh, Condit has more like like straight outright bludgeoning violence. Yeah. But, like, as I was just saying, like, the thing that's so great about this is it, you, you see, like, really what 25 minutes brings out of a fight because every round of this fight, like you talked about right off the bat, TJ, you felt at multiple points in this fight like one guy was just taking over and it was never going to be the same. You know, through, yeah. I mean, through five uh, minutes, it looked like Conor was just going to absolutely destroy Nate Diaz. And when the third round was over, it was like, oh, my God, dude, Connor's exhausted. He's got absolutely no chances He's getting murdered and has uh, an incredible round four. I mean, and then a competitive the, round five, like just sensational stuff.
2: The final 90 seconds of round number two was a pretty scary moment for Conor McGregor as well. Um, oh,
0: I mean, that, that's the other thing, too, is, you know, kind of going into scoring. I'm sure when we go to phones, we'll hear from some, you know, uh, Nate Diaz, 209 inclined people who had 48, 47 Diaz. Right. But the thing about round two is that even though Nate ended up on the deck twice, the last minute of that round, it's not like Nate Diaz just turned on at the beginning of round three. Right. It started at the end of round two. The last 60 to 90 seconds of round two, he's just absolutely assaulting McGregor. Right. And,
2: and I know we're going to have someone call up that is backing Conor McGregor and say, how can you go 10 8 in the third uh, for Diaz when you don't go 10 8? Uh, in the second, from McGregor, I've
0: already, I've, I've already got these people on Twitter. Right? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, there's the. Uh, I think that's a pretty clear cut example of knockdowns. Yes, they're effective, but they don't, you know, deduct points for knockdowns in mixed martial arts, and for good reason. Uh, Nate Diaz lost the second round, no doubt about it. Had there been another minute, though, he may have won the fight in that round. So I mean,
0: Diaz was Diaz was doing damage in, in, in the, the last half of round three. Again, it's like McGregor's not blocking things. He's mm-hmm. getting hit clean with long punch combinations, big knees from the clinch. He's running away. He's like he's really not offering like a, a serious intelligent defense to what Diaz is doing. He's just right. absorbing it and holding on.
2: Yeah. Uh this fight or this program, if you will, you want to borrow a phrase from pro wrestling, why not? This program has has set up um a lot of historical High bars, high marks, watermarks here. Um, I I think we're in store for history and history that will probably stand for a very long time. Jordan Breen, I think the UFC is going to have its first trilogy in one calendar year.
0: I mean, we'll see when they do it. We'll see if Dana White can somehow hold Conor McGregor and his team's feet to the fire and somehow get this— this beefy welterweight back down to featherweight to defend his title twenty five pounds south of that.
2: I don't think so. I think you're going to get this in December.
0: But even whether we do, whether we don't, the thing that's brilliant about it is like if we do, uh, I mean, 2016 has obviously had some incredible stories. The UFC sold for four billion. It's, fights like this are this, p- part of the reason why. This
2: surpasses 2003 as my favorite year in mixed martial arts. <sighs>
0: I mean, dude, it's been a fucking nutty one. Like yeah. I said, the UFC sold for $4 billion to a <laughs> a hedge fund conglomerate. You saw it as up in the game. John Jones, Brock Lesnar. Like this year's Kimbo died. This year is bananas. So Dada. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, Donna died twice and came back to life. Right. It's even more incredible. Yeah. Uh, this year has been absolutely bananas. If we end up. Having a trilogy, a one-year contained, a natural hat trick, Mm -hmm. if you will, Uh, so be it. The thing I love most about this is we already have a classic rivalry in Diaz-McGregor. All the better that it's tied up 1-1 in terms of wins. But this was something that, dude, six months ago, we didn't even know this was something we wanted, something that would matter, something that could even exist, really.
2: Well, let's not forget, this was supposed to happen last month. They got pushed back. (laughs) Uh, and, and for the record, again, let's not forget, two numbered UFC events have uh, been canceled, and they didn't change the number the next show, or they did still change the number like the show happened. And with all the action tonight, I mean, can't we say safely say that UFC 202 is the real UFC 200 in, in a variety of ways? It delivered on action, and chronologically, technically, still UFC 200.
0: And and I guess also too, if you want to, if your idea of UFC two hundred that was supposed to be like a great and grandiose moment for the UFC, given the way that Jones Cormier disintegrated, and the way that the Brock Lesnar and Marcon situations played out, definitely, I think you would want to imagine this as being the real UFC two hundred. And this was like a narrative that that people kind of had. Uh, before the card started, you know, before there was injuries, you know, this is a card that like was hit by a lot of injuries. And like we were talking about, uh, we had a, you know, a caller on, on cheap sheets on Wednesday who was basically talking about, you know, man, like, how are you going to have, you know, like Garbrandt and Mizugaki and and Larkin and and Magni buried and These prelim situations and they like, were the well, prelim
2: main events, and they all lived up yeah. to main event status.
0: Yeah, and that like that's the thing. But you're kind of like, well, I mean, this is like the UFC now. If you if you get you know, do we, do we have twelve fights tonight? I always I'm always inclined to say twelve. Yeah, we had twelve uh, fights. Yeah, I mean, perfect. <laughs> Lucky guess. You have a twelve fight card though, even if it's a bigger deal. I mean, actually, I I suppose even as, like especially if it's a bigger deal. If you're selling it with Conor McGregor, and Nate Diaz, something that big on top. Mm. It's not like you need the most stacked card in the world, but even if you have a super strong five fight structure, like it's not, it's not like it was even three or four years ago. You right. know that the, you know those those central five fights aren't your pay per view main card. You would sprinkle them out over all of your other content providers and platforms and uh, try to draw people in. In this case, though. It, it, I mean, it worked sensationally because the fights that people were like, mm, why is this on the pay-per-view? Mike Perry, holy cow, and Tim Means <laughs> yeah. holding up his end of the bargain as well against late replacement Sabo Massey. Yeah, no, uh, I loved it. Uh, like, people- we're, we're sitting here gushing about McGregor-Diaz, which rightfully right. may stand as, as 2016's fight of the year, but like, there really is so much more to this card. And, and also, too, McGregor Diaz, because it was so intense, like it was, you know, like it was an experience to watch. Mm-hmm. So obviously, like you know, and, and also went five rounds. Right. So it felt like uh like an investment. You yeah. Know? Like it, t- it took a while, but prior to the main event, this card just flew. Right. Like uh, I couldn't believe when the main event was teed up, especially coming off the heels of that Fox Sports one card that felt like it took a day and a half.
2: I. <sighs> Can we, I mean, we had a majority decision tonight. The unanimous decision is FS1 pacing is just the worst. It's the absolute worst. Yeah, It's the worst thing in mixed martial arts.
0: It is. Lusty cosine. You definitely get no argument from me.
2: The best thing is fight pass pacing.
0: Dude, a card where everyone gets lamped on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean in the middle of the afternoon and it's done in two and a half hours, absolutely. I'm
2: sorry, you have (laughs) no idea how much I love sitting down calling an Invicta Fighting Championships card and being done two hours and 20 minutes later. And we'll do nine fights. Yep. I mean, give me more of that. And I'm sorry, this is why I have no problem and I know people are going to go, oh, you get to write this off and expense it. I will gladly pay $100 a month for UFC Fight Pass if I get all of the content. If I get all the content there. Take my money. Take my money and give it to me in lightning quick speed.
0: The other thing too is there's nothing better than a UFC card. Obviously, we're like we're doing radio, so it's a little bit different. But there's nothing better than a UFC card that you're covering live that actually ends early. That's, oh yeah, that's the sweetest. You know, they yeah, yeah. do like a card in California, and the main event ends in the first round. Like you're outside at 9:22 p.m. or something. Right. You can oh. see the
2: glow of the setting summer sun in the horizon.
0: Oh, brilliant. Yeah.
2: Brilliant. Well, I'm I'm looking at you right now at 9:59 uh, Pacific Standard Time, going. We started before 10 p.m. This is a great day. This is an absolute great, especially now that I got to drive 75 years home to Chino Hills. So <laughs> there's that.
0: Uh, UFC 202 though, baby. UFC oh, 202.
2: Yes, tell us about it. 844 Dog is the number. It is 844-743-7364. You can reach us on Twitter at Jordan Breen and at TJ DeSantis. Um, you know, we're, we're in line. Unanimous decision, at least on this radio program, that tonight was a draw. There will be a third fight. No matter what, there will be a third fight. Too much money on the line. You got to get that rubber match going. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, I, I kind of, like, didn't finish my thought, but, like, th- like that's the thing that's great about it is if they do it next and right. we get this rivalry in the span, like like a trilogy in a span of less than a year. Mm-hmm.
2: You know?
0: I mean, at worst,
2: for me, at worst, you're going to get this by 4th of July of next year easily. Um, and
0: if that's the case, so be it. Like, the, the fact of the matter is they, like... G- what we saw in both the first fight, which, as, as I think David Bixenspan pointed out really well on the round table, kind of because of the shock value involved, because of like, Nate Diaz choking out and kind of schooling Conor McGregor, mm-hmm. lost in that was the fact like the first fight was really darn entertaining. It wasn't yeah. like this fight. No. It, wasn't no, iconic, no, no. But it was iconic, but it was like a really fun fight. Although at
2: the end of the second round uh clinch gear nick's hanging out in studio by the way we'll get him on the mic here in a minute
0: oh shit really yeah he's here the soul patch himself
2: yeah kit cope is in studio oh
0: baby you want to say hi nick hey jordan what's up buddy nick albert baby how are you
2: (laughs) it's exciting right i don't know what mic that is hang on do this for me
0: there you go nick baby like where are you where are you living are you still in england uh
3: no i'm back in san diego
0: what are you doing what's what's the deal
3: I'm actually running social media for a company down in San Diego and TJ
2: said, Hey, you're back in America. Come up and watch the fights. So That's great. Let's talk about the fights. Sorry, Nick. Exactly. We'll get Keep back it back all to in the that. family. I love yes. it. Yes. It's exciting. It's exciting to have Nick back in studio. So um all right. Uh
0: yeah, so they can do the trilogy whenever. Right. They, they they always have this in their back pocket. If they want to do it in, in four months or four years, whenever they do Diaz-McGregor three or four or five, uh, people are going to be live, and justifiably so.
2: My question for you, Jordan, no doubt we're going to get it, but what do you want next? Do you want a unification bout with Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo at 145 pounds, or would you rather have this catchweight fight or welterweight fight or lightweight fight? What it, what do you want, and, and also when they do meet for a third time, where do you want this fight to take place at?
0: I guess it's ironic because I, I've spent so much time, before we got to this point with the UFC, before the USC got to a point where they kind of realized that fights like this have enormous promotional potential value, utility. Mm. I always just thought, you know, you, you got someone who can fight in two weight classes. We'll get to Donald Cerrone in a second. You do what you can. You just make the most interesting fights and, and make something compelling. It doesn't need to be an all-out pride style freak show with someone twice the size of another man. Right. But you got a really good lightweight who's like lost to the champion or whatever, like or or, or really any division. You know, because like that's like I feel like that's the way I kind of sort of came to this feeling looking at guys like you know John Fitch who fought at 85, 205. And people who'd lost and, you know, been kind of crowned by the champion and didn't really have anywhere to go in the division they're associated with. Why not do stuff like this? We're we're at this point now, and I'm I'm stoked, you know, this is this is not the sort of fight that the UFC would have ever made in the first place, let alone acquiesced to a rematch for a few years ago. All that said, he is the featherweight champion of the world
2: and i think tonight he's the moneyweight champion of the world.
0: Uh yeah, I suppose i suppose uh he's got mola wall's golden face around his waist right now on the leather strap, but at the end of the day he's still he's still the top 145 pounder in the world. He still fought the best featherweight in history and lamped him with one left hand in 13 seconds. Yeah. I, that's I, the fight I, mean, I want I next, it, by the way. That's what I yeah, really want. I mean, it's like, dude. Aldo Edgar isn't something that's going to be like a like a fight of the year contender sort of thing, right? Especially kind of because it became markedly less competitive over the last fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. But in terms of great performances this year, in terms of like really redemptive performances ever, Aldo is absolutely incredible if, in the Edgar rematch. If
2: Aldo came back and defeated Conor McGregor by knocking him out in 13 seconds in December, I'd make an argument that he's Comeback Fighter of the Year.
0: I mean, we're obviously going to get to Dominic Cruz at some point. You're likely Comeback Fighter of the Year. Right, right. Cody but I, I think you could
2: make that, quote-unquote, do the proverbial make-an-argument.
0: But, I mean, absolutely. I mean, did did Aldo even fight last year other than McGregor?
2: I don't believe so, no.
0: He didn't fight on, like, Super Bowl weekend or anything? No. I'm not missing. No. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, his, I mean, in a way, twenty fifteen was a nightmare. His his promoter basically called him a liar and a coward and accused him of faking injuries and X rays. He actually ends up fighting McGregor, gets absolutely humiliated and lamped. If somehow this year ended with him coming back, and dude, that's the other thing. It's incredible, but where McGregor's at, we have, you know, with, with Rousey on the sideline and John Jones being in hell and Brock Lesnar, who knows, maybe never doing MMA again. McGregor is kind of the guy who has to really carry the torch and largely carry the torch by himself. All the better that he end up in multiple fantastic rivalries.
2: How can we even think about Brock Lesnar's MMA career when he has uh, what's his name? Randy Orton this Bob weekend. Bob Orton's kid tomorrow night. Yeah.
0: yeah. Bob Orton Junior.'s kid. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, all right. Eight four four Dog is the number eight
2: four four seven four three seventy three sixty four. Talk about the co-main event. Absolute violence on display. Beautiful right uppercut lands for Anthony Rumble Johnson. He shuts the lights out of Glover Teixeira at 13 seconds of round number one. Uh, got in the mic, um, called out Dan Cormier, uh, even, even tried to get some brownie points with the UFC's light heavyweight champion, going, why are you booing this man? Which, you know, deep down inside, Dan Cormier's like, thank
0: you. Yeah, you, Dan, Dan Cormier probably appreciated Anthony Johnson trying to put him over.
2: Yeah, and uh, when you knock out someone like that in 13 seconds, you're allowed to put over whomever you want. Uh, Might as well be your next opponent. It doesn't seem like that long ago that Anthony Johnson and Daniel Cormier fought, but with a performance like this, man, I don't care. I, I, I can't wait to see Anthony Johnson fight Daniel Cormier again. I can't wait to see Anthony Johnson do anything, which is really amazing because once upon a time I was like, Oh, Vitor Belfort just shellacked a blown-up middleweight Anthony Johnson. uh, That run has come to an end. We'll never see Anthony ever again. He can go fight at Wild Bill's fight night.
0: I mean, think about the way that things for MMA prospects go. Think of of everyone in the last 15-plus years you've seen in mixed martial arts who was advertised as the next big thing, someone who was going to be a UFC champion. A lot of those guys, their run that that like it, it's not even that they, you know, underachieve career long. A lot of guys it just comes to an end in a hurry and they quit when, say, for instance, they blow weight, Rich Clemente chokes them out and then teabags them in the back of the head on pay-per-view. Yeah. You know, like a lot of guys, their MMA hype and shit, it ends right there. They never recover. Anthony Johnson, even though it clearly uh, the biggest part of it was you know his weight and his diet, clearly the physical skills were never in question. It's just is he's, he's a phenom in that particular regard. That stuff was never in question. But now that he's found a weight range that he can comfortably make and hopefully can be less of a terroristic citizen to yoga going women of the state of Florida, I mean like you you're you're just talking about the fact that like it wasn't that long ago he fought Cormier. Like what? It's like May last year. Right? Is that right? Uh, yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, what we're talking about you know 14 15 months right. by the time they fought, you know like a year and a half or whatever. If that's if that's the next fight they do, for Alexander Gustafson. Uh I'm I'm not mad at that. Not only has Anthony Johnson nuked two fighters since then. I, three fighters since then because he destroyed Jimmy Manua too. Right. I mean,
2: and Gus poked him in the eye and then got melted.
0: Uh, and then, that, well, that was right before Cormier. Right. Yeah. All that's that Okay. Since losing to Cormier, he, he smashed Manua, crushed Ryan Bader on Fox, that's and now right. Glover. It's like, yeah. dude, three massive knockout wins over at worst. Yeah. At, at the very worst description, three top fifteen guys. It's like, not only is that a, a justifiable way to set up a rematch, I think, in any division, let alone one that's at the top kind of as bare bones as 205 and, and, and obviously in a terrible situation with John Jones and the like. But more than that, if you're talking about anyone in mixed martial arts history who in a title fight may be, like, like obviously Anthony Johnson isn't as well-rounded or resilient or historically achieved as Daniel Cormier, but it,
2: it really doesn't matter.
0: Like Anthony Johnson literally has a chance in any fight because he hits, like, Several standard deviations harder than anyone else I've ever seen in MMA. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean he he put the lights out of Glover Teixeira with one of the most beautiful single uppercuts I have ever seen in MMA. When you Dude, throw Glover's, it, when you he's throw, never
0: really been knocked out in his career. No. Like he was TKO'd in his first pro fight back in 2002. But he was basically exhausted and was on the bottom and got pounded out. He like got he sniped wasn't.
2: tonight. He was, he was done before he hit the floor.
0: Uh, dude, 13 seconds. The minute Anthony Johnson makes impact with the uppercut, right. Glover Teixeira, like the, the lower third of his face, his whole jaw like flies to the side. He is absolutely unconscious a second and a mm-hmm. half before he touches the canvas. Yeah. Like, and, and like that's the thing. It's not just that Anthony Johnson has a lot of knockouts. Like, it's not just that, like, oh, his fights end by – because the fact of the matter is, like, there's a lot of people – like, you know, uh, like Cain Velasquez. Like, most of his fights technically end by knockout. He's bulldozing people and beating the shit out of them. Sometimes they go down on the feet and get finished off. Sometimes they get taken down and pelted. It's not that he's finishing people by knockout. It's that – I mean, God, how long, is he, how long has he been in the UFC now? When's the, when's the Chad Ronner fight? Is it 07? Sounds about right. All right. So we're, we're, we're approaching a decade. Basically, you know, n- nine plus years of this dude at the UFC level. And when he hits, first of all, the speed, like the fact that m- an enormous majority of his fights. And this is not, it's not like Igor Vobchanchin fighting bums in a one night Valley Tudo tournament in 1997. And Igor's just way harder and throwing overhands on him, right? Like he's fighting real mixed martial arts fighters in the modern mixed martial arts era and most of his fights end within the first three exchanges i mean that's that's
2: quite a feather in your cap
0: like like the like you're talking like like look at this like the speed in which like reiner 13 seconds tom Spear rip in broomfield colorado 51 seconds You know, Luigi Fioravanti, just over four minutes. Yoshiuki Ishida, horrifying knockout, 41 seconds. Charlie Brenneman, less than three minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like, you know, DJ Linderman, less than a round. Uh, Mike Kyle, just over two minutes. Noguero, absolutely horrifying knockout. Again, less than, you know, or just over two years ago, Mm -hmm. 44 seconds. Gustafson. 30,000 people in the Teletu arena crying and putting their, their little Gus flyers down all over the floor.
2: See, this is what's crazy to me. You mentioned Just D- over two minutes. You mentioned DJ Linderman. I was like, when did Anthony Johnson fight DJ Linderman? Oh, yeah. World Series, World of, Series fighting. of Fighting, baby. This man was in World Series of Fighting because everyone thought that his career was largely done. Yep.
0: And came, came back to a signature victory as a heavyweight, breaking Arlovski's jaw. Shoutouts. But, like, his last two fights, Bader and Teixeira combined, minute and 39 seconds. And both of those dudes done enormous, brutal physical harm. Like, Anthony Johnson's a horrifying prospect. I mean, look at the first fight with Cormier. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Obviously, going into a rematch, Cormier's going to be a favorite. We, we got the read on Anthony Johnson for all his greatness as a phenomenal power striker. We know that he's a guy that if if push comes to shove, someone's really testing his metal and wearing him down physically, cardiovascularly, he's probably not going to stand up to it. Cormier's probably going to TKO him or tap him again. But he basically landed two legit shots in that fight with Cormier, and both of them sent Cormier flying across the cage. Yeah, He landed a shot in round one and a shot in round three, and both of them weren't even like that clean. They weren't the level of say like, you know, the Teixeira shots or the shots he put on Bader on the ground or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he touched Cormier, and both of them sent Cormier absolutely flying. So going back to what you're talking about, never mind that he's three and zero with three nasty knockouts over legitimate opposition since he lost to Cormier. Even if he hadn't fought since then. There's not a guy who has the KO threat like this in all of mixed martial arts. Like if Alistair Overeem died, like we were teasing this on cheap seats. Like if Alistair Overeem, you know, got hit by a missile or something like that, and we needed someone to fight Steve Miocic in Cleveland, Anthony Johnson steps up for the heavyweight title, dude, he could legit be UFC heavyweight champion in like a few weeks.
2: Oh yeah. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And it's just an
0: unreal level of power. There's been a lot of hitters in MMA history, but there just hasn't been any like Anthony Johnson.
2: And again, if you're watching UFC Unleashed reruns, you're going to see Anthony Johnson in his tail of the tape say 170 pounds.
0: Well, I mean, some of them might say like 175 or something like that. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Oh,
2: man. Remember when Kevin Burns like poked his eye out?
0: I was, I was worried that Glover Teixeira was going to harken back to his John Hackleman training at the pit and. Perhaps I gouge Anthony Johnson, but didn't even get the chance to do it because he couldn't last a whole, I mean, 13 seconds, dude. 13 seconds. You can't get that game
2: going. You can't get that game, that eye poke game going in 13 seconds.
0: God, he absolutely obliterated him. Anthony Johnson's power just isn't fair.
2: No, because it's, it's, it's crazy to think that a heavyweight hits that hard. It's crazier to think that he fought or attempted to fight at 170 pounds. And like as he gets bigger, the power just gets bigger. And I don't know, man. I mean, Dan Cormier did what he needed to do, stand up and say, come on, come on, come on, sure, let's do it. But part of Daniel Cormier is going, man, I don't want to get hit by that again. I got hit by that once and I walked through it. I don't, I mean, come on.
0: And since then, he ate that absolutely horrific knee and had a 25-minute excruciating, grueling match with Alexander Gustafson. So, you know, every little bit counts when someone's approaching 40 years old. It's not like Cormier's a spring chicken kind of thing. I would never want to see Anthony Johnson in a cage period. It's always going to be a huge, daunting task, but every little bit of tread you take off your tires, he's even even increasingly more so not the guy you want to see across from you, even if it's a rematch and you beat him before.
2: I I can't see Anthony Johnson being less than a plus 175 dog to daniel cormier too
0: much power dude
2: i mean seriously I mean, you can't sleep on that power
0: i mean like this is you know we, we do post fight right? we've we've done beat down after the bell for a lot we've we've done it since ufc 71 that's yep. the first one right it's so that's you know May 7 mm-hmm. whatever is that right oh uh, god that's a long time yeah
2: <laughs> nine years we've really yeah. done this for nine years
0: yeah, going on time. Uh, so we've done this for a long time. We've done you know shit for a lot of shows. We've reacted to a lot of wild things uh, happening in mixed martial arts. But for all the hyperboles that we may have dished out over the years, greatest fight, biggest moment, whatever the case might be, uh, I feel very comfortable in, in just saying that Anthony Johnson is just the biggest hitter in MMA history. Like what he does to people is insane. The speed, the fact that like it's not like he's like Robbie Lawler and breaking these dudes down and landing with big power late in the fight. It's like the minute he hits someone, it looks like it looks like they've been shot in the skull and are literally they're dead.
2: Yeah, I mean you're not wrong. It's 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 grisly. It's literally uh, grotesque. So, it's
0: not like he's just a puncher either. No, you know what I mean, like he can. Like, he's a wrestler he's got, like, head, too, man. He can yeah, wrestle. He's got head kicks and shit like that. Like, yeah, the dude's absolutely terrifying.
2: No, I mean he can wrestle too. If he if he is fighting someone that is uh, not a wrestler at their core or at their base, Anthony Johnson has a decent chance of taking anybody down.
0: Really also, does. I mean, think of the fact that we're we're talking about a dude who has these kind of extreme athletic traits, is a bigger dude. We're talking about possible multi-division flexibility, the fact that he's got some legit wins at heavyweight. Like Andre is about to main event a UFC again. Right. You know what I mean? Um He's 32 years old. Like a lot of guys' MMA careers, you know, like if he stepped up and lost to Cormier and then lost another fight after that that's kind of the arc where you think I was going It's like, dude, four years from now, he could just be murdering heavyweights. Like yeah. heavyweights are just old as shit. And what, like Anthony Johnson is going to stop hitting people super hard when he turns 35 or something? No, Not no, a chance. no way. No way. Like that's like, Anthony Johnson. That's the a famous prime... boxing heavyweight thing. Like the power, you don't lose that yeah. shit. Like no, he's he... going to be clobbering people for as long as he wants to do this.
2: He, he's the prime example of a guy who ends up getting like more old man strength. You know oh, what I mean?
0: Probably. Yeah, he's absolutely, he's, dude, he's f- physically, he's a freak. Like, they're, you know, I, I'm not that Vitor Belfort's emergence in MMA and his athleticism, like, not that he's not phenomenal, mm-hmm. but in terms of being like that, the Joe Rogan, if you made a dude in the lab, right? Yeah, like, dude, Anthony Johnson's like a creative fighter or something you made in a game and maxed out the knockout oh, stats, yeah. like, it's horrifying. You
2: got 99 on uh, on more stats than you're supposed to have. Yeah. Um, not to take anything away from Daniel Cormier, but it's a shame that John Jones isn't in the mix right now because I need to see Anthony Johnson versus John Jones at some point. I need it.
0: Well, I mean, like that's the thing, too. I mean, maybe fingers crossed, knock on wood, John Jones is able to do the Yoel Romero defense and get himself a, a, a six month sanction rather than a two year ban or whatever right. the case is from USADA. And maybe he's back and, and quick in working order. But that notwithstanding, one of the things that we talk about with John Jones, one of the reasons that and we talk about it as potentially the greatest fighter ever is that he's basically cleaned out like the last of one era of the light heavyweight division and then an entire other era of the light heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. But really, the, the one dude that stands out that isn't a part of that is Anthony Johnson. And for the reasons we just talked about, even though you know, like John Jones is obviously a, a greater fighter than Anthony Johnson and far more historically achieved. But you're going to talk about a guy being the best ever in his weight class or the best ever period. We're just talking about a dude that's possibly the most lethal hitter in the history of the sport, right? Like if if, if you know if John Jones is the best fighter ever, the best two hundred five ever, you know, it, you kind of it, it just feels right that he would fight a guy with that profile. Like it would, you know, if if John Jones ended his career without fighting Anthony Johnson in this kind of part of his prime, it would feel like we missed it on something. I think
2: no doubt about it. And also too, like I would like to see that fight take place. Just to see what it looks like inside the clinch, because John Jones has has thrown a lot of guys, many a men. But Anthony Johnson is just so physically imposing. I would like to see what would happen if John Jones got double underhooks on Anthony Johnson. Would AJ go for the ride?
0: Well, also, like I would expect that Anthony Johnson would eventually, you know, get a Greco Roman Airlines ticket and go for a ride and probably get punched and elbowed and eventually submitted, but getting in again, the clinch is a tall order though with him too. Well, but, but I mean, that's exactly what we were just talking about. It's like the exchange rate with Anthony Johnson. It's like, it's, it's, it's not like other elite strikers or big knockout threats where, you know, the threat of danger, the threat of a knockout is just present. Like it's red alert all the time with Anthony Johnson. You know, the- like, like John Jones could clinch, like, dude, the, the punchy he hit Glover share with tonight, right. that's a punch you could land on a guy just going forward with his yeah. arms out. Well, I- it's not like John Jones isn't like John Jones isn't a bad defensive fighter, but at the end of the day, he's kind of a classic MMA fighter in the sense that like his best defense is his offense. Like John Jones normally avoids damage by virtue of the fact that he's assaulting people in the clinch, right. tying up their wrists, using his enormous size, pelting them, taking them down and just savaging them over you know 15 to 25 minutes
2: Uh, well something
0: that's that's great but Uh you know just one one false step against anthony johnson even if you're the dopest ever like there's no there's no dude in mma history like even like a prime mark hunt that i feel confident in standing up to like one giant anthony johnson punch
2: right and i'm curious what that one punch potential from anthony johnson does to john jones striking game because Jones is so dynamic with his approach. He likes to spin. He throws, you know, reverse elbows, spinning elbows, etc. I I can't think that John would be comfortable spinning because if he misjudges an angle or A.J. moves, you know, one way, uh, encounters with an overhand right, you Give don't want to spin favorite. and, yeah, you don't, you don't want to, do exactly the Uriah Faber versus Mike Brown or Uriah Faber versus Tyson Griffin. Like you can't go out there as one of the best in the world and get caught with something flashy because man, I just, uh, when you throw I
0: imagine if we get that fight though, like a a lot of the early stuff will be just like Jones avoiding Anthony Johnson, kicking him below the waist for an extended period of time. And
2: and let's be honest. I mean, I, I still think that the deeper the fight goes when you fight Anthony Johnson, the momentum and odds largely swing in your favor. Uh of if you get him into the middle part of the second round, he's gonna fade. The power's not gonna be as strong and he's gonna make a mistake. And uh that that's where it favors John Jones. But man, the first seven minutes of a fight like that, like I'm sitting on the edge of my seat and uh, you know, getting all excited. So
0: uh any, anyone, any any heavyweight, any light heavyweight, heaven forbid, any poor middleweight right. Like there's Anthony Johnson may never hit like a a topside triangle or, you know, be a guy that can go 25 minutes hard. But till the day this dude hangs up his gloves, he's going to be a absolute fucking problem because he's just genetically gifted in a way that we've really never seen before. Like he is, he is so demonstrably more destructive as a puncher and a kicker as like anyone we've ever seen.
2: Seriously. And I don't think that's hyperbolic at all. I really don't. And, and yes, we are, you know, an hour and a half removed away from him shutting out the lights of Glover Teixeira in uh, a fashion that I'm sure we're going to hear "Face the Pain," uh, you know, behind over and over and over again.
0: We didn't get "Face the Pain" tonight, though. What was that intro? Was that Exhibit? Oh, the- I don't
2: know. I I wasn't in in the room for the uh, the 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 pay per view open. I uh, I bought it on Fight Pass, went to the bathroom and got my pre fight snacks and came back and. Mike Goldberg was already welcoming me to the Ultimate Fighting Championship.
0: Yeah, I was. I was in the same thing. I was. I was about to run to the store and do the the pre-main card errands, and I thought, like, eh, I'll stay for face the pain. And I thought, like, no, what you, did
2: you didn't really say I'm gonna stay for face the pain, did well, you? Well, I didn't say it out loud, but I kind of th- did think it
0: in my head. I'm a dork, whatever. Well, I mean,
2: we had some new metal talk this week on lo- <laughs> Tuesday, so maybe maybe <laughs> you needed to, uh, you know, rip it into pieces.
0: I love I love the shitty UFC aesthetic. Someone's someone's got to face the pain. No escape. In the I mean, of this. Uh, anyway, MMA.
2: Uh, MMA just gives such a meaning meaning to New Metal and Tribal.
0: It just they just had they had a completely different intro though, and I swear to God, I, I I no one else. I put this out to a f- few people and stuff like that. No one else could confirm, but I'm pretty sure Exhibit did the narration for like the two minute intro video from Diaz <laughs> McGregor. Was it really? I mean, like I can't can't confirm. Could be someone else. But I'm pretty like if someone had a gun in my head right now, and was like, "Who did that intro?" I'd be like, "Oh my god, I think it was Exhibit." Please don't kill me. So like,
2: be, because, because Conor McGregor won, did one of his many rides get pimped?
0: Well, I mean, some something got pimped tonight.
2: Yeah, um, I, I have no problem paying the money. for for this pay-per-view or any other pay-per-view featuring Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor, though. So uh, let's talk about Donald Cerrone. He was the best 155-pounder fighting at welterweight on the night. He defeated Rick Story. TKO Punches ends uh, that bout. Two minutes, two seconds of round number two. So Donald Cerrone talks about going back down to lightweight because Eddie Alvarez apparently has some of his property that Donald never owned to begin with. But uh, I don't know, man. I'm still just super intrigued at this 170-pound cowboy.
0: I mean, it goes back to one of the things we were talking about off the bat, the fact that we're in a, a time for the UFC where something like Diaz-McGregor, even if initially it happened because of injury mm-hmm. and whatever, we're in a place where these kind of fights can become realities and, and promotable realities, big-ticket draws. you know. Um, if a few weeks from now, Donald Cerrone is in the gym and Joe Silva is in a jam and someone breaks their foot, breaks their face, right? whatever the hell. Hey, Carlos Condit's out. Yeah, like if, if, if something terrible happens before Vancouver, I'm always going to be okay with Donald Cerrone stepping into that. But at the end of the day, like if he wants to apply his trade as a welterweight, cool. If he wants to do it off and on and bounce between weight classes, hell, fill, fill your boots.
2: Donald Cerrone if, wants to fight seven times a year.
0: Yeah, he needs it. He needs to pay off his taxes. He's getting paid. He deserves to get paid. I mean, hell of a performance against Story tonight. One of the most uh, calculably, like, honestly, at this point in his career, especially given the volume of fights, probably one of the most entertaining and calculably entertaining fighters in MMA history. On Give the feet all the and fights. on the floor.
2: Because, yeah. I, dude, I thought that Story was done when he uh, transitioned from the Omoplata to the Triangle. That was beautiful stuff, and, it, and Joe Rogan screams it every time, so I don't think that anybody can really sleep on the ground game of Donald Cerrone at, at this point. Uh, it, it's drinking game fodder uh, until Joe Rogan talks about how long uh, Donald Cerrone's ground game gets overlooked, but I don't know, man. I, I enjoy watching Cowboy, not only because he, he's a great kickboxer, but uh, you can't sit in the man's guard because he can throw up submissions, make you move, and catch you in a transition.
0: Dude, he's just a straight up MMA fighter. Yeah. You know, like, dude, he's one of the most underrated wrestlers in MMA, too, because people still have the idea from like his early WEC tenure. Oh, like, take him down, whatever. Like, dude, he took story down first in this fight. Yeah. And when he gets taken, first of all, his takedown defense is quite good now. And when he does get taken down, he's not a dude that just plays guard the entire time. He uses submissions to either threaten or to sweep and scramble and get up. I mean, he's just a straight up MMA fighter. Mm -hmm. So, all, all that said,
2: you have to make him happy, too, by the way, because the minute that that man's contract runs out.
0: I mean, now it's it's up.
2: Yeah. OK. I mean,
0: we'll talk about that with Lorenz Larkin, too. But we got we got two new free agents. Tonight. Well,
2: Donald Cerrone. Donald Cerrone is a guy that Scott Coker could make a play for. And it makes a lot of sense.
0: Oh, anyone should want to make a play for Donald Cerrone. He's one of at the very worst, one of the 20 best fighters in mixed martial arts. Year in, year out. Mm hmm. Uh, he has two divisions of flexibility, and they're, they happen to be the two best divisions in MMA. Two divisions that if you're not the UFC, you can actually have worthwhile and decent fighters in, 155 and 170. And, uh, I mean, what really more is there to being a damn good free agent other than actually being a UFC champion? And if, if the UFC resigns him, all things considered, they should, they should push for Eddie Alvarez and Habib Nurmagomedov. You know the the Nurmagomedov situation. They should try to alleviate it as quick as possible, and and I think like that's the kind of thing they should line up. But if he's got his heart set on 155, and Cerrone has to go back and be, I don't know, the opponent like Tony Ferguson beats Rafael dos Anjos, and they have like a final eliminator, or you know, Ferguson beats dos Anjos or vice versa, and that guy's next on deck, so he fights the winner of. Dustin Poirier and Michael Johnson. Right, all of these are all of these are just fine options that have Cerrone back in the title picture, pretty damn quick. Like, like that's one of the the, the good things about tonight. The way not just that they were entertaining, not just that we got a bunch of stoppages, but we got a lot of fight outcomes that I will say it doesn't matter, but like there's a lot of flexibility. You know, it doesn't it doesn't really matter if. I should say it doesn't matter, but like it's it's an, a potentially exciting option if Conor fights at one forty-five next or fights a Diaz for the third time. It's exciting if Anthony Johnson ends up against Daniel Cormier in a rematch or hell, John Jones one day. It's exciting whether or not Cerrone's at 155 or 170. You know he's going to be in the top of that mix and what might his next contract look like.
2: Well, I just don't want him to be fighting for maybe overpriced money from Viacom and having the, the rubber match with Benson Henderson on Spike TV.
0: Well, I mean, I, I, won't, I won't lie. I would be kind of bummed if I'm watching Donald Cerrone and Andre Koreshkov in six to seven months from now.
2: Sponsorship money, dog. <laughs> And he can have his uh, tie shorts back in his real shorts.
0: Well, I mean, anything that shits on the Reebok deal. I can't, I mean, I can't front on that.
2: I wonder if Donald Cerrone would be from Canada. No, no, he's from America. Uh, all right, Dog is the number, eight four four Let's go down the rest of this main card quick and then open up some phone lines because uh, we need to. Uh, Mike Perry defeated Hung Yu Lim. Uh, three minutes, 38 seconds, round number one, TKO punches uh, for Perry, gets it done. Lim was just fighting not well. Uh, he got dropped multiple times. Looked like he wanted a way out, and he, he just did a, a barely enough for John McCarthy to not stop it when he was giving up his back. Um, he was put in a, a side mount a crucifix. hung uh, Hungyu Lim didn't look good. Mike Perry looked great. What he did at the weigh-ins and then the way he got on the mic, I don't know. For whatever reason, like, I just find his personality unlikable. But in mixed martial arts, that works. (laughs) And his fighting style is fantastic. I love what he did inside the cage. But getting on the mic and then what he did at weigh-ins, like, oh, man, this guy just drove me a little bit nutty.
0: (laughs) Okay, so obviously a sensational debut. Young-Goo Lim is, is tough as hell. You sure. look at the, the Tarek Safadine yeah. fight or whatever the case might be. P- plenty of uh plenty of examples to use to point out this dude's steely hardness. Why did but- Lim
2: turn into Stephen Miocić versus Travis Brown though?
0: He got hit with big power. Perry's a hitter. Like, even though his biggest problem at this point in time is that he's still very new in mixed martial arts. Like He wrestled growing up. More on this in a second. Uh, he wrestled growing up, but basically like he's a he's a big counterpuncher who just winds up and tries to take big hacks at dudes. It worked in this case. It doesn't matter. I, I thought kind of the defining thing wouldn't even just be limb size and experience, but the fact that even if it's wild, He's another guy that his, his kind of defense is a wild offense. He right. swarms guys and is physically enormous. But he didn't get the chance to swarm because as soon as he came in, Perry just decked him and decked him with both hands on like three knockdowns. Yeah. I actually thought McCarthy – Lim did like a really good job, I thought. Or I, mean, I should say really good because he, it's not like he recovered and came back to win the fight. But I, I thought he did a very serviceable professional job defending himself on the first two knockdowns and working his way back i thought he was great really good refing tonight i thought mccarthy and dan mergliotta were both very very good for the duration of all of the uh, ufc 202 um, uh by the
2: way hat tip quick to mergliotta for getting in there and preventing any unnecessary damage to glover Teixeira.
0: yeah dude he got in there fast like he was kind of moving towards it but he had just been circling away and yep. Johnson lands so fast, and because it's an uppercut, he's coming forward. He's already in the position to start landing hammer fists, and he only yeah. lands one before right. Murliata gets in there. So, I mean, I thought, I thought, I mean, also, I, I mean, I suppose props to Herb Dean too, because if you watch an MMA fight, you don't notice the referee. Um,
2: That's great. Yeah, that's true. So
0: job well done. Yeah. So, so I guess a uh, hat tip to Herb Dean as well, since I, I didn't even notice him. But I thought it, it, with some of the stoppages and kind of the way that the fights were ending, that uh, Murgliad and McCarthy specifically did a good job. But going back to you mentioning Mike Perry maybe being an unsavory dude, as I pointed out on the roundtable, you're literally talking about a guy that got out of jail and on his way back from jail went to a UFC gym. And that's how his MMA career started. So that's happened
2: to like three other dudes at this point.
0: Well, the most famous one I always think of is Lyle Beerbaum talks about after he got busted for meth and did time at Walla Walla. Right. When he was picked up and was driving home, he had seen the Ultimate Fighter in prison and he told his father, who's picking him up from (laughs) prison, that he wanted to be dropped off at an MMA gym. And his dad, like, thought he was high or something like that. But I think it's funnier in this particular case. Because Mike Perry actually went to a UFC gym. Right. Like a, a, like the, the modern chain McDojo. Yeah. We're, we're out here now, TJ. Guys, guys who, I mean, I know he doesn't chain there now, but guys who have began their career in UFC gyms and strip malls across America, they're in the octagon now, and they're winning on pay-per-view.
2: Well, it's not the octagon. I've definitely looked at the bios of some of uh, the fighters at the Tachi Palace fights, and they're team is ufc gym <laughs> so i don't i don't know which ufc gym in particular but uh ufc gym nonetheless
0: hope it's i hope it's the one in rosemead shout outs to art jimerson training mad boys
2: and if it's uh, somewhere in the ie it could be uh uh ricky legere there you go so you know uh all right uh mike perry gets it done fantastic debut uh, works just under four minutes. Um, devastating fashion. Relatively unscathed, I got to believe. Let's get him back in there. Soon. I'm all about it. Tim Means victorious. Uh, the dirty bird. He stopped uh, Saba Hamasi. TKO punches. Uh, two minutes, 56 seconds. Round number two. Um, Hamasi was game, though, man. I mean, he's cut up bloody. We go, I mean, we got a lot of great blade jobs tonight without the blade.
0: Yeah, a lot, a lot of gigging, a lot of gigging. Homasi's uh, entire face was just covered in blood uh late in round 2. He was and, and like you said though, he was game. It's not like he didn't hit means. It's no. just it was it was a classic Tim Means kind of fight, you know. In, uh, again, uh, like a, a common theme we're talking about, guys who are big, physically imposing, who their best defense is the fact that they're offensive operators. Means throws like 15-20 strikes a minute. Yeah. And even though Hamasi cracked him a few times and countered well for the first two or three minutes, once Means landed that one big elbow that made him just start bleeding everywhere, he just went back to the well over and over and over and then started killing him with everything else. It was... I mean, if you'd never seen Tim Means fight before, like this is the kind Like, if someone wanted to some for some reason, like, oh, like I went to high school with this dude who was addicted to methamphetamine and was, a, right. was like a reformed criminal. Like, his name was Tim Means. What's he like as an MMA fighter? It's probably a good fight to show someone this is kind of the prototypical Tim Means fight.
2: And what I liked with Means in this fight, too, is not only did he destroy the forehead of Hamasi just rib roast into the body yeah. and that's ultimately what set up the end um, a lot of a lot of strikes to that liver side and you know d- destroy the body and the head will die and uh, a lot of a uh, lot of a variety of strikes for means and and, and that's what was really great in this
0: fight. He's rugged and violent. I mean, Tim Means is—I pr- mean, the, the division at 170 being as good as it is, it's unlikely that a guy like Means is ever going to put together kind of the requisite four, five, six, or more fights in a row you need sure. to get a title shot in this division. But this dude's obviously going to be able to hang up for a long time, obviously win more than he loses, and in the process, try to rack up bonus money.
2: Yeah, and, it, and on, on other nights, believe it or not, this performance, it wasn't super— uh, highlight reel worthy. This performance, though, could pick up uh, a performance of the night bonus on a, on a less than stellar card. But tonight was
0: not the yeah, night. I mean, like, this was... You, we've had so much to talk about and like, especially the top three fights and, obviously, especially the main event. But when the pay-per-view got started this way, it was like, oh, sweet, Tim Means is here. Thanks. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And uh, I, I, he, he definitely deserves some sort of uh, good job bonus, in my opinion, because that, that was a, a career-type outing for him, opening up the pay-per-view. And, and I'm a firm believer that sometimes cards just get kicked off the right way, and that sort of uh, result carries over throughout the night. And Tim Means did exactly what he needed to do in, in being a pay-per-view opener. And uh, you might even say that it carried over from the FS1 main event as Cody Garbrandt lamped Takeo Mizugaki at just 48 seconds of round number one. TKO ends the bout. Garbrandt's for real, calls out Dominic Cruz, uh, the the Bantamweight champion, uh, Mal's what's up, MFR or come on, MFR on national television, which <laughs> I chuckled at. Uh, Cody Garbrandt, I mean, back-to-back, scintillating victories, uh the new team alpha male product uh gotta believe he's legit
0: i mean this is the thing we're trying to make up the gap at 135 because there's prospects there's there's good up and comers at 135 even if they're not like garbrandt's a traditional prospect he's a young dude who's unbeaten as a pro and whatever Mm -hmm. but we even have kind of like un you know unconventional prospects a guy like john lineker who kind of fat assed his way out of the division that he originally plotted on, right. but was a hot prospect before that and is clearly on, on a big run. So we get a lot of up and comers at 135, but there's still a kind of big gulf between these sorts and your your Dillashaw and your Cruz. Because of that, I'd still probably rather see Garbrandt fight like a Brian Caraway or, or have like a similar sort of fight before taking on Dominic Cruz. But it's it's a thin division. You got, you got to face facts. It's it's even even if you're the kind of person like myself who prefers Garbrandt having another fight first. It's not like it, it, you know if you won that by a scintillating knockout and it was just another one, another body caught. It's not like you can deny the guy that long. There's just not enough things to keep Dominic Cruz occupied. Never mind the fact that Cruz is obviously out there banging the drum and doing his best to promote the fight before it's even near materialized. Great performance by Garbrandt, though, but at the same time, no real surprise. Takeo Mizugaki is the gatekeeper of the stars in that division, but the, the way his Achilles heel aligns with Garbrandt's strengths, it's like this is the kind of thing we expected, even if we didn't know it would be in 48 seconds. You know, Garbrandt has enormous power and is a great combination puncher, too, even if you know this case was kind of like a slap to the face plus a right hand that set everything up. But Garbrandt's just straight up a great puncher. He punches in combination. When he drops people, he can follow up and very accurately finish them off. And against a guy like Mizugaki, like, typically he's good at recovering, but he always gets hit with these flash, knockdown-type shots. And considering Garbrandt's power, speed, accuracy, just didn't get the chance to recover. I mean, not... And there's a reason that Mizugaki was the biggest underdog on the card, and I think it's very much the fact that you know, we have enough tape on Garbrandt, enough on Mizugaki to kind of see how Garbrandt's strength played directly into his weakness. So even if it was very impressive and stoked the fire for a Dominic Cruz fight, still not the biggest surprise in terms of an outcome.
2: No, no. But I mean, the 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 haste in which it was done, um, a bit surprising to me. But I mean, the 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 chin of Mizugaki, uh, yeah, it's questionable um but um Cody Garbrandt he shines where he needs to uh capping off the prelims on FS1 real quick let's go down the rest of the card and then we'll get to some uh, phone calls uh one line open right now 844 sure dog is the number it's 844 743 7364 uh Raquel Pennington takes a unanimous decision over Elizabeth Phillips uh, Artem Lobov defeated Chris Avila Unanimous Jesus. decision goes the way of Artem. Uh, I mean, Davila tried to be game and tried to do the best he could, but th- this, this was destruction. I
0: mean, man, this if you showed someone who knew nothing about MMA this card and were like, by the way, there's a fight somewhere on this card where both guys are really only on it because they're homies with the guys in the main event. Yeah. Even someone who knew absolutely fuck all about MMA would clearly be able to identify that one of these things is not like the other sure I mean, but
2: just- Avila's leg man like he looked like he had never never Checked figured a out a, a leg kick in his life. And I mean while Lavov didn't look amazing, he he still was the much better fighter of the two
0: this fight was excruciating it wasn't I mean, that's good. the thing like it it, it goes to show to how kind of like standards and expectations work because like there's a lot of fights that are bad in the UFC and but but like it's kind of like a question of magnitudes like there's certain kind of fights that are bad but you still understand that the participants involved are well trained or neutralizing each other or they're skilled but tired right this was the kind of fight that if if this was on an RFA card on Access TV, Chavello and Miletic would have shit all over this.
2: You know, also, too, this is where... This is a fight, uh, an example of a fight where people are like, really, Lorenz Larkin and Neil Magney were reduced to fight pass, and this was on TV? Well, don't look at this fight being on FS1 as any sort of endorsement from Sean Shelby <laughs> okay. or Joe Silva... Uh, as to, to where these guys rank compared to Lorenz Larkin and Neil Magny. But, but I understand why people will talk shit about this when uh, two fantastic welterweights were not seen by the general public.
0: That's, that's business, I suppose. But I, 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 suppose, I suppose even beautiful faces have flaws. UFC 202 was a, an incredible card. Maybe, maybe the best of things we've had this year. Maybe even better than 199. But mm. I, I suppose I, I, not everything can be perfect. I suppose we have to have one turn in the punch bowl somewhere and well, definitely this was that. that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Courtney Casey victorious over uh, random Marcos. Submission armbar ends about 4 minutes 34 seconds in round number one. Lorenz Larkin blew the doors off of Neil Magny. TKO elbows officially ends it at 4.08. But this fight was over much sooner than that. Magny was in survival mode and it really started with the, uh, the kicking offense of Lorenz Larkin. Um, working a variety of strikes. I mean, uh, the monsoon was just uh, in rare form tonight, Jordan. I, I I'm really impressed and intrigued with this 170 pounds uh, Lorenz
0: Larkin. He's definitely a wild card because I mean, whether at 205, 185, 170, we have seen he's a dude that like I mean, he can be knocked out. He can be out wrestled. He's not always strategically kind of the best dude, but Man, oh man! When he just gets into a groove and just kind of like, f- like feels out like an opponent is able to hurt them and and get the the kind of the snowball rolling downhill. My God! I mean, like you mentioned, this fight was over clearly within like ninety seconds. He just landed a half dozen leg kicks, and Neil Magny couldn't walk. He looked absolutely terrified to engage. Every string of punches. Think about how terrifying of a hitter Hector Lombard is. Oh yeah. And and what Neil Magney endured from him overcame in one. Right. And it's just like the, the speed and the accuracy and precision he like it was one of those performances where, you know, it's like someone stealing signals. You know what I mean? Like Magney, he was crushed by the leg kicks immediately and once he kind of like Larkin for me the real end in kind of a, an abstract sense was after the front leg got chewed up a bit. And then Lorenz Larkin threw that front kick and sent him flying like six feet across the cage and on his ass. Magny like got back up, but it was very clear that he just kind of knew he's done and just defeated. And Larkin just starched him up at the end. Neil Magny is a great welterweight fighter one of the most improved dudes, I think, in the entire sport mm-hmm. over the last three years. But – when when Lorenz Larkin's on, man, like like that's the question. Just can he can he have this kind of performance, the kind of performance he had against uh Santiago Ponzanibio and like those sorts of outings, can he have them event in, event out against elite welterweights? Because I mean for a guy I, granted it's because his division's so good, but for a guy who's like not a top twenty guy or anything like that. I mean, if you were a good welterweight, like, would you be... Like, like, no one wants to fight this no. guy. Like, no one's, like, calling, like, man, I gotta fight Lorenz Larkin.
2: No, no, an unranked Lorenz Larkin fighting a top-five guy, that top-five guy's not comfortable with that that call no. at all. I mean, this is... In most well, sports, like said, when you're I, unranked fighting or, or squaring off with a top-five team or opponent, you're like, oh, man, we're gonna get crushed.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, the, the, he really is that classic... Upset special uh, spoiler, uh, dark horse wild card, whatever metaphor, or turn of phrase you want. Like, can't really rely on, and again, the division being so good, even as good as he's looked recently, knowing how good 170 is and knowing this guy's background, even with him having one four or five, you're not thinking, like, oh, yeah, he's going to put it all together and go on this big run because you kind of see like these long periods of inactivity where he just. Kind of like leg kicking and moving around and dancing and not throwing, but these sorts of nights, like you know, the John Howard fight, the Ponzinibbio fight tonight, like when he just starts throwing combinations and landing, like he looks, he like literally looks like one of the best fighters in mixed martial arts. Like he trashed Neil Magny so badly tonight.
2: Well, I mean, what do the best athletes in the world have in common? And in, in my opinion, it's consistency. Now, fights are a little bit varied when it comes to that because styles make fights and, and your consistency can get shut down a bit. but Lorenz Larkin just needs to remain Lorenz Larkin, and he should do pretty well
0: and-, and that's that's also one of the you know the the difficulties of MMA, you know what I mean like the the people that we you know put on that pedestal, whether it's Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre, John Jones, whoever the case might be. Uh, you know, even someone like where it's not like one sustained winning streak, someone like Dan Henderson, who's an unquestionable great. It's about getting those W's over the long period of time. It's about the idea that on a fight in, fight out basis against elite opposition, people generally have the idea of like, this guy's probably going to win. Like he fights great fighters and beats them almost all of the time. It's 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 hard to be great. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a reason that like it's rare. You know, there's reason that Conor McGregor had to put on the performance of his life right. in an iconic fight tonight to avenge a loss to a guy that no one even really sees as a top 15 lightweight. You know what yep. I mean? That's
2: no, true. It's, it's absolutely true. Uh, but he's going to get paid better than the top five lightweights. So, there you go. Uh, Colby Covington victorious over Max Griffin. Um, Griffin, just this wasn't a stylistic matchup that, that favored him. Covington took over. Uh, beautiful elbow cut open uh max griffin's forehead and uh colby really took over and never looked back after that uh got on the mic started talking he, he, so, he started, started kind of talking
0: before even true. I mean, chippy's chippy's a good way to describe it i mean dude he got up after getting the stoppage and basically started screaming in max griffin's face from his feet right and like then he, he started said, yelling I mean, at
2: rogan hey last yeah. time i tapped out i had a busted rib <laughs> what what
0: I mean, this is, Chippy's a good way to describe it. This is a guy with a chip on his shoulder. There's a reason, like, this was a guy that was supposed to be a a starting wrestler for multiple years on the University of Iowa Hawkeye squad. Yep. Settled at Iowa Central. Yeah, he ended up there because couldn't keep up the academic end of the bargain and couldn't stop getting in fights and was just like a general malcontent. Like, this is, Colby Covington is a surly dude that, these are kind of the people that belong at M- in MMA. I don't want, I don't want Colby Covington to be an assistant manager at Enterprise Rent a Car and fuck my face up or something like that if I scratch a sedan.
2: Right. Yeah. No, like these, these are just, these are people
0: no. that belong fighting right. for a living. Right. Oh,
2: could you imagine if uh, you went through the walkthrough and didn't tell him about uh, like the passenger side door that got sideswiped and you started to walk away and he noticed it.
0: Exactly. You know, like there's I think there's like a famous Bill Simmons article sometime where he, he talks about like basketball kind of being like a necessary sport to contain certain kinds of physically enormous, imposing and terrifying individuals. And I think he like uses the example of like, would you want to go to the grocery store and go to the butchery and have Kevin Garnett cut your meat? Absolutely not. Yeah, and no. people like yeah, I don't want I don't want people like Colby Covington trying to sell me a cell phone or something like that. Or we're going to get not. beat up. This is a dude that should fight in the cage for a living.
2: You want the extra gig of data? Trust me. Yes. No, I'm thinking no. Old Chippy Covington gets it done tonight. Uh, TKO punches ends Max Griffin's night again. Two minutes eighteen seconds of round number three. Uh, Marvin Vittori defeated Alberto Pereira. Uh, submission guillotine choke, 4 minutes, 30 seconds, round number one. With all the action that happened, that opening bout on Fight Pass seems like it happened last week. But uh, Vittoria
0: looked, Vittori looked good, though. Nice little guillotine, too. Got Rogan excited. I, I love guillotines, too.
2: My second favorite choke in MMA.
0: Well, I, there's, there's, something, there's something to be said for uh, the beauty of simplicity. You know what I mean? The, the fact that no matter how long MMA trudges along no matter how many fighters we get, like an Anderson Silver or a John Jones who can do these kind of unprecedented things that we've never dreamed of and dominate in sort of a unique way. At the end of the day, people get punched in the face and just run headfirst into getting choked still.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's instinct to uh, duck your head.
0: Yeah. I mean, people people will never stop getting guillotined in MMA,
2: ever. Tito Ortiz stopped. (laughs) Said he was never going to get guillotined again after he lost to Guy Mezger. I don't think he ever was, right?
0: Tito Ortiz guillotined Ryan Bader after nearly knocking him out. That's true, too. This sport, man.
2: Were we with Gross that night? I think we were.
0: Ooh. the the was night? That we the we were night? With Gross, no, the night we were with Gross was uh, Tito and Rashad, too. Ah, yeah, the, the fence grab. Yeah. yeah. All right, Dog is the number.
2: It's 844-743-7364. We start on line number two. It is Chris in Denver. Chris, welcome to Beat Den After the Bell.
3: Yeah, I thought it was a draw too, you guys. Um, and and I, I did not see Jose Aldo getting that fight because this fight did some huge business. The line to the uh, fight for the Buffalo Wild Wings was out the door. It was longer than the line of husky girls waiting to get a picture taken with Shifty Shell Shock.
0: Um, ah <laughs> uh,
2: yes.
3: So uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, I think it's safe to say that Jose Aldo is on the outside looking in with no light.
2: Did he have and, bloodshot uh, eyes?
3: Yeah. You know, he. What, one minute he's here, the next minute he's gone. Um, it, I, th- I think his uh, interest in him has died. But, yeah, uh, great fight. Um, I don't know. I, I don't see why people would have had a drop problem with the draw with this fight. Uh, it was great action. Um, I don't really think either guy won. I don't see how Connor could possibly say that he's even. I mean if Well the King is back, you didn't gets, know? If, well I mean I mean if it gets another it gets another minute in two rounds, the king is dead. Uh we we, we got a um we got a uh, Game of Thrones at the end of season six situation.
0: If only if only we had Gracie <coughs> rules, the Diaz brothers would just yeah. be undefeated. They would never you know it'd be it'd be like when you look at old tales of like who is the world heavyweight champion in eighteen seventy and it's like you know, uh, 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 Krusty McMustashington won in the 37th round when the other <laughs> guy died of fucking exhaustion and just toppled over in the dirt. Like, the Diaz brothers would school everyone if only there was no doctors to stop them on cuts, uh, no judges. If it just if it just rolled until you tapped or keeled over and died, the 209 would it'd be unprecedented Yeah. In MMA.
3: Yeah, like I, I mean, I don't know. Pride rules too. I think, I think Nate clearly won. Um, I don't like Connor, as you could probably guess. But I mean, he showed a lot of heart tonight. You know, I I really,
2: uh,
0: I I agree. Think
3: he'd be able to fight. I didn't think he'd be able to fight that patient style, and he did. Uh, he cut well, also, out. You know, also, also too, to,
0: like I feel like that right. is you know, Chris, as you're kind of alluding to, it's one of the reasons why me Bix and Span, Brett Okamoto all went Diaz on the roundtable. One of the things that's great about this fight, one of the things that's exciting, one of the things that underscores how good Conor McGregor's performance was, is that it's not like he just like beat some dude. It's not that he beat a dude who beat him back in March. Nate Diaz is clearly identifiably, very obviously, a poor style matchup for him. And he had to fight in a certain kind of way and absorb a certain kind of cost in order to win the fight. It was well,
2: fantastic. In the pre-fight build, too, Joe Rogan said Conor McGregor came out of nowhere, you know, defeated everyone uh, before him, did it in such a fashion that he was predicting it, and made the sport look easy. And then when he was put in adversity, the first adversity really in his UFC career, he wilted and faded away and lost. Tonight, he was in just as bad, if not at times worse adversity uh, on the feet than when he shot in on Nate Diaz in the first fight and survived and ultimately won the fight. So even if Conor McGregor didn't win the decision tonight... It would have been a moral victory because he survived in instances where, in the first fight with Nate Diaz, he became a subpar wrestler and got choked unconscious. Well, no, he tapped. He tapped.
0: And 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 in most fights, yeah, you, you, uh, other people other people become victims. You know what I mean? Round, uh, you know, the last sixty seconds of round two, in a lot of Nate Diaz fights, would have toppled certain lightweights, certain welterweights. Round three alone would have. Some of the shots in round five might have made some of those same folks wilt. like what what McGregor did both in turn like that's the other thing too, is it's like there's some performances that are incredible because they're just impeccable. like they're they're like the flawless victory in mortal combat. Like I always think of like George St Pierre Matthews too, where it's just like everything the dude does is is on point. It lands, it hurts the dude. The other dude's a legend, but looks like an absolute buffoon. Is all the strikes are tethered to their head, every takedown lands, everything is perfect. But there's some kind of performances that are more than that because they require standing up to adversity. And one of the things that made this fight great is both dudes had to, you know, suck it up at at various times. And it kind of created that roller coaster effect uh, of, of the fight's like drama and narrative. It was outstanding.
2: Anything else in your mind, Chris? I mean, let me ask you this: uh, You were dropping new metal references. Uh, do you have the fever for the flavor of the uh, rematch, the, the the rubber match? Is that what you want next? Oh,
3: uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's what you have to do next. I mean, after it did such big business, and you spend so much money to acquire something like this. I mean, what if Jose Aldo just, you know, like what if he, uh, he heel hooks McGregor and McGregor blows a knee? You know, are you really <laughs>
2: This I'm, rivalry, I mean, I mean th- what we saw this weekend cuz I think the buzz was down a little bit until the presser. What we saw is Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor just need to throw some shit and throw up some middle fingers and all of a sudden the buzz is back to what it was when they met back in 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 March. So,
3: I'm not, I'm not sure if I agree with that. Uh, I I think that, you know, this is a, you know, two guys that everyone knows and when it's time to fight that they show up. I mean, it's not like you have any problem with name recognition. Everyone already knows who they are. They're familiar with them. Uh, when they get time to scrap, I think people are going to show up. And uh, before I go, Jordan wanted to know what the Make America Rock concert is like and who goes to uh, a saliva concert in 2016. Uh, it looked like people on their second strike that wanted to bring their kids to them with the, with the rock show and you know have their kids watch them drink uh, Red Dog beer. And chicks that should have stopped drinking uh, heavy beer five years ago, but you know,
0: have since stopped caring.
2: Click, click, Sounds- boom. Appreciate the call, Chris.
0: <laughs> Sounds delightful. By-, by the way, TJ, yes. would you like some numbers? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, your attendance and gait, keep in mind, obviously. The UFC kind of over like August is always a slow time in Vegas and for the UFC and they overpriced tickets out of the gate. So in the last two days, they were slashing tickets by like forty percent face value. Nonetheless, UFC 202 attendance of fifteen thousand five hundred and thirty-nine for a live gate of seven million six hundred nine hundred and two thousand ten dollars. Wow, representing a just under five hundred uh, dollars a ticket. Your bonus money for the evening. Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz for Fight of the Night. Mm. One would certainly hope for at worst the second best fight this year. Also, going going back to the the uh, inverse corollary of the Chris Avila and Artem Lobov fight. Not only does it show that bum fight like bum fighters stand out on a UFC card. The most exciting stuff is still the best fighters putting on the best fights and resultantly. So, your other 50k bonuses for performance of the night going to Anthony Johnson and Dald Cerrone in your co and co co features. I like it. I, like I mean, it. I endorse it. Historically speaking, I I used to gripe when like main eventers and people like that people. Right. I mean, dude, George St
2: Pierre getting uh, performance of the night or fight of the night with Josh yeah. Koscheck.
0: Yeah, that, well, I mean, fans voted for that. They they did that to themselves. You remember but, who got
2: screwed out of that?
0: Uh, ooh. I was at that card. I'm trying to think what else was on it. What was what was the hot fight that night? I think it was Wonderboy. That's not the night he killed Stitchin, is it? I think so. Was
2: I at that? Wait. Let
0: me, let me wait. look at that. Was, what, what, no, what number is that? Uh, Do you know offhand? No. This is, this look is up supposed APR. to be here. Look up. St. I think APR. it's 124. Yeah, 124. I nailed it. I th- I'm, I'm man. pretty sure it was Stephen Thompson. Uh, oh, dude. I forgot the ma- the co-main was Stephen Struve and Sean McCorkle. Jesus Christ. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the best fight on this night. This is a weird night, a lot of quick stops. Oh, the best fight that night was definitely Sean Pierce and Matt Riddle.
2: I remember I remember uh Dana White telling George he needed to apologize to his training partner, and I thought it was Stephen Thompson who was on that card.
0: Um uh, like Yeah, your- no. No no Stephen Thompson. Was Rory McDonald this- on it? John McDessie was on this card. Maybe it was Mac- no. Uh, any other Tri-Stars? Mark Bocek? Hmm. Sean Pearson? Maybe it was Pearson. Uh, but yeah, Sean Pearson, Matt Riddle was definitely the best fight on 124. By the way, uh, I haven't like watched a ton of his stuff, but uh, apparently, Matthew Riddle, MMA oh, yeah. marijuana lord, the, the dude that brags in his Twitter bio about being the only dude to ever be cut from the UFC on a four-fight winning streak. Deep waters. Apparently, quite... The enterprising young pro wrestler TJ. I haven't seen
2: any video, but I was looking at some uh, photos. Uh huh. He looks the part. I mean, he's huge. He's gigantic.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good reminder when you're watching mixed martial arts that like even some dude fighting at 155 could be absolutely enormous and just dwarf you in person.
2: Yeah, no, that's true.
0: You know, like think about this tonight. Like we were talking about Tim Means earlier. Um, Tim Means is obviously like he's skinny, and I mean, it's not. It's not the biggest stretch in the world when you see the dude to predict that he may have had a past in hard drugs. But he's not like a small guy. How did this guy make 155? I have no idea. Like Means is enormous. Yeah. Young-Goo a- Lim, how does this dude make 170? Like Mike, Mike Perry is clearly like a kind of robust dude. young Lim looked a full size of man larger than him. Lim
2: looks like a small light heavyweight.
0: Yeah, he's absolutely enormous.
2: Yeah, yeah he's, he's gigantic and he's thick. Yeah. He's not just, like, tall. He's like he's, and It's it's not he's like broad. an
0: illusion. It's not like an illusion thing either. Because, like, there's dudes... Like, like Yushin Okami. People would always be like, Oh, dude, Yushin Okami's huge. Because, like, in his fights, like, Mike Swick and Caleb Starnes and these dudes, they would verbalize. They're like, Oh, he's so strong in the clinch. And Joe Rogan would always talk about how big he was because he's tall. He was, like, 6'2 or whatever at 185. but And he also had really big biceps and shoulders. But it's like... He was, like, size 24 pants. I will like, he's, never...
2: Like, there are certain men that I stood next to, for the first time, where I was absolutely blown away with how much bigger they looked in person. Yeah, the one that still surprises me more than anybody is Ronaldo Jacare.
0: Jacare, yeah, Jacare is huge. I feel like I feel like it happens more for me with light heavyweights and heavyweights because light heavyweights you have the idea that they're like they're almost really big dudes, and then you meet some of them, you're just like, holy shit, Ryan Bader, you're absolutely enormous you're brolic as hell or in the case of heavyweights you just underestimate like how big a big man is right you know like you see you know like you see someone like josh barnett or Fabricio verdum face other heavyweights so you never ever it's like when you watch like volleyball at the olympics like it's hard to tell how tall people are because everyone's kind of tall or like watched a basketball game or whatever and then like you actually stand next to someone like Josh Burnett and Fabricio Verdoom. She's like, oh oh, you're absolutely enormous. Right. You're yeah. a huge person.
2: Um, the inverse of that, I don't care how big his hands are. The first time I stood next to Brock Lesnar, I was like, I don't, I don't I don't think you that big. Oh.
0: Brock's one of those dudes who's weird though. He's big in the way that like Kane's big, right. where he's not like tall or anything. But like the thing that always unsettles me is anytime I'm ever next to Kane Velasquez. I look at how big his head is in relation to everything else around him, like in relation to his body, everyone else's head, random physical objects in that area. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, you're you're made for this. You're what, a battle tank.
2: You know, when it comes to wrestlers in particular, if you're standing next to a wrestler that's not super tall and he's wearing a baggy shirt, you almost always default to be like, oh, man, this guy's fat. He takes off the yeah. shirt and it's like, oh shit, you're a brick shit house.
0: Well, I mean, also too, dude. Like MMA, there's like there's some kind of things you could, you, there's some kind of physiques you could never plan for. You know what I mean? Like going back to your love for Minnesota, you meet a dude like Sean Shirk on the street. How could you ever know that this dude has like a 14 pack and looks like he's made out of wax?
2: Right, no, that's true. Shirk's <laughs> one of them too. I remember Savage and I went in and did. Uh, remember the old in the gym features? Yeah. It was in the gym for Shirk before I think he fought Kenny Florian. And like standing next to Sean, he had like one of those uh, big uh, full contact fighter hoodies on. And I'm just like, man, he doesn't look to be in good shape. And then he took the the hoodie off to go wrestle or whatever he was doing that day. He's like, oh, no, he's a giant. He's just a giant small
0: man. Yeah. No. I mean, and, and, and terrifyingly so, like I said, dude, Sean Shirk's body really doesn't even like look real. No. You know, <laughs> I mean, dude, even, even though he's obviously weird because he looks like, you know, like a teen boy band thing and clearly has like very large biceps. Dude, like, if you're in the supermarket or a seven 11 or something, saw a Sage Northcut, you would have just no idea that he's clearly been raised like a show pony or some kind of circus animal by his father to have like eight pack abs since he was three years old. Right. You know, like the the dude's obviously big. Like he's like six foot one, obviously has big, but he's obviously in good shape, but you just have no way of knowing how over the top strapped this dude has been and has been for his entire life. 20 years or some shit. He
2: was born with a six pack, right? I mean, Mark Northcutt, dude. Right. I mean, came out six pack and already had gel in his hair.
0: Got that? Got that good sauce? Got that good bleach?
2: Oh, jeez. Marco <laughs> from Waco, welcome to beat then after the bell. Marco from Waco, what's up, dude? What's up, man? How are you?
4: Ah, man, enjoying fights. What else, man? What a night of fights, dude. I am so so impressed with what happened today.
2: The real UFC 200. Come on.
4: Yeah. Uh, again, like you say, like there is two UFCs that really never happened, but they they just named them, you know. So.
0: Sport
2: killer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry.
0: Yo, can I can, can I just say that uh, apparently two things. One, apparently I've seen multiple people just say that Nate Diaz smoked weed on the dais at the, the, the makeshift presser that they canceled but apparently are still doing. And two, Nate Diaz just invoked the Tank Abbott. Nate Diaz, Nia, Nate Diaz just came with the. I'm definitely not mad that I lost, but I'm definitely going to point out that he's going to the hospital and I'm going to the after party. Yeah,
2: but apparently yeah. Nate Nate needed medicine on the dais allegedly. So you know, because I, th- I think that's a medicinal state, is it not?
0: Yeah, I mean, apparently, apparently it was like in a G pen, like it was like a vape pen, but like <laughs> Nate Diaz doesn't strike me like a dude that's getting like tropical punch fake tobacco smoke. Right. You know what I mean? Like I
2: get some strawberry banana.
0: Yeah. Like that doesn't, that doesn't really like strike me as his jam. So I think we can imagine probably, <laughs> and also too, after 25 minutes of that, I mean, the man's earned it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I scored the five for Connor, but I wouldn't be enough with a draw. I saw for a second there that Nia was going to pull it off on the third, but let's let's get a third fight, Not, not this year, next 4th of July, you know, make it a big event. Uh, Freaking Anthony Johnson, man. I'm gonna tell my kid when he doesn't want to go to sleep that I'm gonna unleash Anthony Johnson Because he's he's a scary, scary man. He's a new
0: boogeyman, dude. Not to not to but, be a complete dick, but Marco, you should have had a daughter.
4: I have a daughter. I got a six month old daughter.
0: Well, so, she's well right. I mean, I, first of all I forgot that like, you know, you had you had the new daughter, but I mean, as soon as you get her into yoga, Anthony Johnson can be your boogeyman.
2: Hey, real quick, can uh, I just say uh UFC two hundred and nine, Stockton Arena, Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor three. How about oh, that? Oh man! Can you can you imagine yeah. if
0: like the biggest rivalry in MMA history like ended at the Oracle in Oakland?
2: No, Stockton Arena, almost which, more which, which MMA
0: one. Which would also be super weird because that would mean two of the most significant fights in MMA history, and like in a fairly all things considered short span of time, two of the biggest fights in MMA history would happen the Oracle with uh, Silva Sun in one and McGregor Diaz three. <laughs> Yeah. Not say, but, not saying the Oracle doesn't deserve it, especially with the Warriors being a, an NBA phenomenon now, but it's it's, it's weird.
2: It's Oakland. No, the,
4: the other it will make sense also in uh take you to a stadium in Ireland like they keep promising, you know? Yeah, yeah that well
2: that'd be great. Uh correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Oakland where the whistles go woo woo?
0: <laughs> yes it is. It's very much <laughs> I'm, hey, uh, pretty uh,
2: sure Bub, Rubb gonna Bub Rub gonna be cage side for Diaz and McGregor. What's his,
0: what's his girl's name, Lil' Sis? Lil' Sis,
2: yeah. Woo!
4: Woo! Yeah, hey, uh, Anthony Johnson, okay, number one contender and all, but uh, if uh, John Jones pull out, I like Anderson Silva, an effective big build defense, you know, uh, maybe we don't see Anthony Johnson come here, and we see uh, John Jones because if he's able to find December, they have to make the DC the, DC, the fight, man, because we've been waiting for that forever. And, you know, it's really demonified. money fight. I, I truly see that Anthony Jones is going to get a screw on this. Uh, uh, by the way, I mean, Brock, Brock get with whatever freaking uh, Jones is getting into so you can defend yourself with the same, same digital defense. Last thing, dude, uh, Cody Garbrand, Cody Garbrand, dude. He's already picking a fight with Dominic Cruz. They went at it on FS1, you know, Cruz throwing his jabs, Garbrand throwing his jabs. Is Garvin
1: getting the next
0: title shot? And if that, do you see him really winning? But I'll let you guys catch you guys next week. The whistle's got woo! Uh, it's got woo-woo! Uh, woo Sorry. I didn't know there was going to be a third one. Uh, so after, after like, basically canceling the UFC 202 press conference proper, the UFC's, like, bringing people back to the media tent now. So apparently... Uh, Nate Diaz was smoking oil, sm- smoking that hemp oil mm. you know, out of his out of his pan, and uh, <laughs> on top of that, he just referred to himself as Conor McGregor Sensei. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't write the shit, man. No, it, like, it,
2: man, if you did, it wouldn't be this good. It just no, it, it's so they're so, uh
0: so it's really. Dude, it would seem really dumb, like, because g- we've obviously seen iterations of MMA portrayed, like, you know, whether, like, oh, like, remember when everyone was excited about Red Belt? They're like, oh, man, David Mamet, man, like, Glenn, oh, he's Garry, get, Glenn Ross. He's like, finally going to have
2: a real MMA movie.
0: Oh, man, like, he's just, like, the dialogue he brings, the Red Belt. Red Belt fucking sucks. <laughs> Straight up, like, Red Belt stinks. Never Back Down was a better film. Uh, Never Back Down is also horrible.
2: Well, I'm just uh, saying, it's a better film.
0: The that TV show that's on Netflix or whatever, I've seen like one or two episodes. It's not awful, but it's still like an MMA show, but like a dude and his brother who fight MMA. Like it's corny.
2: I mean, Warrior is the best MMA film ever. Uh, Probably, but I'm sorry. The runner up is Here Comes the (laughs) Boom. Okay, like that. I don't know if that's basically Kevin James surpassing you got, you got Paul any sort mix, of man. really low expectations, yeah,
0: Paul Blard. that's terrible,
2: but, uh, or or if the bar is just so low that Here Comes the Boom is the second best MMA well, film.
0: But, I mean, it is a low bar unless, you know, you consider, like, Bloodsport an MMA film or something. Nah, like. nah, 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 nah. But, uh, so, so, obviously, illustrations of MMA, both in terms of uh, TV, movies, not great, oh. e- even when people who are celebrated for their skills and abilities and telling stories, people like David Mamet get involved. Still not great what involves MMA. And yet, uh, yeah, if, dude, if, if you wrote a story where you like describe the ascent of Conor McGregor to being someone who just shows up in Las Vegas and sells a million pay-per-views and whatever the hell and being like the biggest star in this clandestine cage-fighting sport and... Nate Diaz upsets him. And then they have their second fight after the upset that comes out of nowhere in a fight that comes together in basically, uh, you know, like what, a week and a half, two weeks notice after Dos Anjos breaks his foot. Eleven days. (sighs) Jesus Christ. So, you know, like literally a fight we didn't even contemplate six months ago. Turns into one of the most iconic rivalries we've ever seen in the sport. And now uh, they put on possibly the fight of the year. And Nate Diaz is hanging out with the media, answering questions on camera, uh, smoking, like, shatter or wax or oil out of a pen. The sport's bananas. I don't know. Maybe
2: it's because I live in California and that thing happens everywhere. Like, in, in situations that you just don't, like, the rest of the country would be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that just happened. Like, I'll be straight up here. I've been walking around this building. And people are doing that, all right? Like, that's just – that's something that happens here in California. Can we just get over this nonsense that marijuana or any sort of uh, THC byproduct should be something thrown in the face of an athlete? Because this is ridiculous. I I just – Nate Diaz did that on the dais, allegedly. Who gives a shit?
0: Well, I mean, like, to me, that's the the thing. Like, we're (laughs) – there's a reason it was so ridiculous when whoever the hell said it back in 2006 when – Nick Diaz tuned Takanori Gomi up on the first Pride show in Nevada. Uh, right? Second Pride show in Nevada? Second Pride show in Nevada. Yeah. Um, when he tuned him up and finished him off with the go-go, and he got his win taken away because he tested positive for weed, Like literally you have people from the Nevada Athletic Commission standing up there right. saying, well, I mean, his, his like levels of, of THC and metabolites are so high. So many so many cannabinoid metabolites. That right. like, well, what if there was a painkilling effect? What if like, what if he was in a superhuman state because of the marijuana during the fight? Like, what if you, corn pops actually tasted better than corn pops do for him? Like, are you absolutely like, are like, are you high? Like, are you out of your mind? You want like, dude, to, like, 2006, 2007, Takahiro Gomi. You you've seen the interview with Gross after the fact. You know he's out there throwing Hadoukens.
2: Yep, he's out there.
0: Who is trying to get blunted and get hit by that? No one. No. It's ridiculous. No. But this is literally something that the Athletic Commission, it was like, dude, tonight, uh, I can't remember who tweeted it out, but someone in the MMA media brought up the fact that uh, Nevada had a waiver in case Nick Diaz showed up and did want to corner Nate, like you would have to like renew his license and all the shit. But he would owe them 25 k but they had, they had like pre-printed paperwork just in case Nick was gonna show up and put down a bunch of banded cash and pay. I mean, is remaining fine? Like, like at this athletic point, athletic commissions are like an absolute grift in a joke in this way.
2: Well, I mean, at this point, why haven't they hired the Diaz brothers as cannabis consultants, consultants? for the athletic commission? Straight up. I mean, you seem to know a lot about this, Mr. Diaz.
0: <laughs> I mean, it was good enough for Chael. Why is it not good enough for the Diaz brothers? It's
2: true. Uh, all right, back to the phones. John from Alberta, you're on beaten after the bell.
1: Hey, what's up, guys? What's up, man? Hey, I'm just hanging out being a dude. I have uh, two quick questions. The first is um, I didn't really agree with uh, the decision. I thought using the old rules, uh, Conor McGregor won the fight, but using the new rules, I thought that Nate Diaz uh, took the third round 10-8. Uh, are you guys on board with that or no?
2: Yeah, we have a 47-47. Got that draw. Yeah, me
1: too. Okay. And uh, the second thing I wanted to talk about was, um, I saw this three times throughout the fight, and I talked to Jordan about this in the past, but if you turn your back and run away from your opponent, should you get a warning? And if you do it again, should you get a strong warning? if you do it for the third time, should you get a point taken away? I I realize... uh, Uh, certain fighters need to create distance to set up an offense, but if your, your, um, your tactics are turning your back to your opponent and running away from him, should you not get uh, a warning for that? No, I don't think so.
2: I don't think so. Thanks, John. I appreciate the call. I don't think so because it's not prohibiting Nate Diaz from pursuing him. Um, let's talk about running away from your opponents and it backfiring in your face. Uh, Rick Story did that tonight. Uh, (laughs) Chris Horodeski definitely did it against Anthony and Jokawani.
0: That That's probably like the worst example ever of a dude like literally turning around 180 degrees, trying right. to run away I mean, and just getting annihilated. Tito but, went
2: on a 30-foot uh, dash from Vandley Silva when he got heard, dropped with that, that uh, punch. So, I mean, he, here's the thing. It looks bad because Connor clearly is, is not fighting the way he wants to at that moment, so he's resetting it also looks bad when uh, your opponent, who is bloody, is pointing a finger at you, laughing, and then throwing up a middle finger. So- the thing
0: is, in, in the general sense, though, Connor, even, even during the stretches where he was looking at the clock and ran away to create space, he still kept fighting back. He still kept punching. This isn't, in order, like, I don't have a fundamental problem if there was an, like, if I was reading a play by play. And I read that a dude ran away and, hell, like maybe has an instant point taken away or something like that. There are conditions that I think permit that, well, maybe not an instant point, but like, you know, quick warnings or having points taken away from passivity. It's legit, but it needs to manifest in a certain kind of way. Like, there's a reason that I think that. Uh, for for most people, I think the the touchstone like like Caleb Starns, Nate Quarry is a good example. Right. I don't even know. I don't even know if a point was taken in that fight. I don't believe but, so. But that's literally an instance where you know Caleb Starnes kind of actually runs at times, but most of the fight isn't. You know, it's figurative running. Like he just avoids engaging Nate Quarry at every turn. Quite obviously, right? Fight like that, by all means, take points. And I think the other touchstone for people probably before that is Jamie Varner running away from Hermes Franca at, at UFC 62. And like that's the sort of example of passivity under active action. Like Hermes Franca is actually throwing strikes at him, and like Ermes, or Jamie Varner is like basically like running away. Like it looks like the schoolyard. Like Hermes Frank is chasing him with strikes, and Jamie Varner has his back to him, is running away. Like it's a comic strip or something like that. Yep. those are the kind of contexts where I think you you want to warn or take points. Never mind things like you know the the Nikki Sarah special, like refusing to stand up for a butt scoot or right. something like that. But in terms of running on the feet, I think like those are the kind of contexts where you want to take it away. A fight like this, like a fight like you know, like a fight of the year kind of thing where guys are exhausted another and McGregor is running away to create space. He's still actively punching and attacking back. It looks bad, like you said, but it's it, that's not a penalty. No,
2: and honestly, if you want to shut it down, I mean work on your touch button in the park, <laughs> and you'll be able to shut down that movement.
0: Exactly, man. You just gotta you gotta hang out with Ido Portal and learn how to flow.
2: Man. I just loved watching Embedded and then seeing Nate Diaz working his uh, striking with Richard Perez in the park. And I was like, ah, that's a good thing he's not doing touch butt right now. But he's definitely in the park.
0: Love how all that Embedded stuff, too. Like all the Diaz dudes, the minute they start training, doesn't matter if they're in a park, in a gym, whatever, just all rip their shirts off.
2: Oh, I mean, I'm pretty sure that if (laughs) Nick was in the lobby of the MGM Grand showing... Hey, if you get in this position, do this. All of a sudden, 10 dudes would just take
0: off their shirts. Dude, don't, don't tempt fate. May, may I point out to you, TJ, it is not even midnight yet in Las Vegas. Oh, I know. I mean, the there's, night is young. There's, there's a lot of time. For, like, I, So I was at McGregor Aldo, and some of the shit I saw on the, the late Saturday night, early Sunday morning before I left was absolutely astonishing. So I can only imagine, even if there's a smaller Irish contingent that flew and booked hotels and whatever, boys uh, gonna probably go and hammer in the hotels,
2: right? And, and you know, the two hundred nine is always representing hard, of course. So, uh, yes. Uh, w- so the the Irish always do the uh, the ole ole. Mm-hmm. What what does the two hundred nine do? I mean, like, do they hum ambition as a rider? I, <laughs> or like uh, the rift to my own summer
0: no no synchronized tupac uh, I I just imagine they kind of yell their displeasure with vulgarities that's true but
2: I mean there could be something to just trying to set that depth tones up I think that'd be good in the T-mobile
0: arena you should you should have played Petissier or something like that for not not just Nick but Vitor as well since he's support his wife
2: there you go. I don't know if we should do this one, but why not? Let's go out to uh, Bo from Texas. Bo, welcome to beat Down After the Bell.
5: Wait, you're actually letting me on air?
2: I've shut you down the last two or three times as the last caller on down After two the Bell.
5: Two or three times.
2: Don't get all Jordan Brandon. On, don't get all Brandon on yeah. it and inflate the real number. Yeah, I'll um, give you two or well, three times.
0: I would. I would like welcome to say. To beat down. Uh, welcome to Beatdown. Welcome to Beatdown. Yeah, I'm pro. I'm pro Bo. Bo Beau is Bo like an unsung hero, of, as, as specifically Beat Down for the Bell.
2: Am I pro-Bo? Oh, okay. No. See what I did there?
5: Jordan? Jordan, are you there?
2: It's
0: not very funny, but I went there. I am here, Bo.
5: I emailed Jordan and TJ. <laughs> UFC 200 <laughs> weekend, the Thursday night, beat down the Bell, the Friday night beat
2: down Oh, you're fading Bell? out. <laughs> Bo. Don't do Bo like that. I won't. Sorry, Bo. What? Get to your call before I just hang up on you. I just have a shitty call and do some shitty fucking...
0: Yep, bye-bye. No! No, no, keep Bo. Bo Regard's the guy. Well, I
2: mean, no. here's the thing. Bo, I got in Bo's head.
0: You can't... I was dumbing. looking
2: for a reason. He gave it to
0: me. Don't, don't do not do Regard like that, man.
2: All right, Bo. I'm bringing you back. No more F-bombs, all right? And the only reason you get one is because Jordan's had three, and all the Lincolns remain in the wallet. So, Bo, let's uh, be a respectable young man here, okay?
5: You're younger than me, so I you don't know how to. But
0: I promise.
5: Okay. Fight of the night: McGregor Diaz was fun.
0: <laughs> fun? That's all you got for for? Like at worst, the second best fight this year.
5: I oh, don't know. It was a blast. It was. I,
0: <laughs> okay, that's better. I
5: thought McGregor won in the end. Totally, he had one, two, and then three, four, five, and five. Is yeah. Uh, but it's like you guys were talking about earlier, a lot of the giving the finger, talking trash. But I thought overall McGregor won the fight. But it it was it was tremendous to watch. And for all of the crap... People- lusty lusty
0: co-sign on that. What? I said that's a lusty co-sign on that for me. Like this
2: is a great idea, Breen.
0: Think- <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thinking thinking back on the fight, like like I mentioned in the opening segment. When we come to year-end voting and stuff like that, I'm going to have to go back and watch Lawler Condit and McGregor-Diaz 2 side-by-side. Never mind whatever might come in the next few weeks or months. But as good as Lawler Condit was and even if maybe the action was more constant and brutal for 25 minutes – the drama it's, tonight was intense. Yeah, I mean, like it, it, it felt like you know, and, and again, too, like I'm divorced from it. I'm not. I'm not in the media room. I'm not in press row. I'm just, you know, I'm sitting in my living room. But it, it, it felt like a big fight, supposed to feel like. Like it really did have that kind of r- roller coaster effect. So you know, even it, it, if, it, was, it was,
5: it was, it was tremendous entertainment. It was. And hashtag laps, and I hate saying hashtag, I'm wearing a thirty year old British Bulldog T shirt right now. Three quarter well,
2: sleeve. Why aren't this you is... wearing an underseller shirt?
0: <laughs> Bo, the real well, shit though the real shit though is that you have you have the original garment. You you have that vintage. This day and age, you know, anyone anyone can have a retro shirt, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you go to and an I'm, indie I'm, show. Like, living in Toronto, I go to an indie show, you know, you see dudes who got, like, they got, like, the Kamala shirts that have the chest paint, like, on the shirt, and it's brown. You got, you know, everyone's got the Macho Man Ready Savage lavender shirt with the sunglasses. This stuff's not hard to find now. The Young Bucks have, like, 42 different t-shirt designs. You got a
5: 30-year-old... God bless bless the Young Bucks, by the way.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, Dave... Dave Meltzer's Dave Meltzer's real children, absolutely by all means, Nick and Matt shout-outs. But I'll, I, it's it's my, an easier my, era, era now.
5: Show right now. Has the Titan fucking trademark on it? I'm
0: sorry. Uh, don't don't do it, TJ. Oh, he's gone. It, he's gone. He's gone. He's got a 30 year old British bulldog shirt. Care. How could you do that, man? I don't care. Dude, they got screwed by Danny Davis. This is garbage. I demand a recount.
2: Well, I just I uh, just listened to the '88 summer no survivor series deep dive today
0: wait didn't that like, come out like a week and a half ago like yeah, i'm you're, behind like, i was gonna say like you're like you're, you're kind of like you
2: three weeks ago I, I think two two or three weeks ago
0: you have a hand in the laps fan and you're that far behind
2: uh it's been a very busy month for me
0: no excuses man what i'm told no excuses
2: that's what i'm told it oh
0: uh, what am i listening to
2: no excuses
0: oh <laughs> sorry I feel, I feel like a complete idiot like i, I like I, w- I was waiting i was like i mean i read uh, do we do we have one more call does tj have a quip i did no nah, no i got yeah. nothing i just
2: you put me in an alice in chains mood you know with chris doing like veiled references to shitty music i thought maybe we'd do a veiled reference to like one of <laughs> rock's greatest songs
0: Put, put you in an Alice in Chains mood? Chris Chris was so profane, or excuse me, Bo was so profane in his call that uh, you want to do some heroin now? I'm a sap for Alice in Chains.
2: Get it? <laughs>
0: See? All right, Pete Lane.
2: I'm clever. Anyway.
0: uh, I, I, Facelift is probably, like, I mean, it wouldn't make my five Desert Island discs, but if I was going into exile and maybe I got, I don't know, 20 CDs, 20 albums, something like that. Get up into that category, that that kind of range, might take facelift.
2: I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, uh, that man in the box is Jordan Breen. I'm TJ Desantis. If you missed any part of this podcast, all access panel at suredog.com, iTunes Music Store under Podcast, Google Play. Go listen if you're on the Android, but I suggest you get a real phone so you can use the iTunes thing. Nick, we didn't talk too much. I'm sorry.
3: Castle.
2: You want to say anything in, in closing?
3: Fun night of fights, and it was good to watch them with you.
2: It was nice. Yeah. Your dog's here, Lily. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she was too impressed by their performances. No? No. She's GSP in it? Yeah, I think so. There you go. Uh, Jordan Breen, you're back on uh, Monday. I, I always want to say Tuesday because I'm so used to saying Tuesday. But Monday, another edition of Cheap Seats. I may have a guest for you, which we never do, but I may have a guest for you.
0: How dare you? Sorry. Is it Nick Albert?
2: Uh, No. Uh, I'm going to say it now just because if I say it, it probably won't happen, which will make you happy. Uh, Henzo Gracie might come on to talk about his part in the investigation of the American swimmers in Brazil. (laughs) Because why not? It's funny.
0: Dude, what is this sport?
2: MMA will never stop giving great stories. And Henzo Gracie being at the center of Ryan Lochte and his buddies telling a fib is amazing.
0: It's not even like it's his first intersection with the Olympics. I mean, shout outs to the World Combat, whatever hell that tournament he wins, where he chokes up Ben Spikers, Famously, Ben Spikers and his Dutch homies called Henzo's hotel room the night before and tried to screw with them before the fights. So after Henzo choked him out, by the way, the Olympic connection, Ben Spikers, former Dutch Olympic Judica before uh, pursuing MMA for a minute. Uh, after Henzo chokes him out, he stands up and fucking walks on the back of his neck. Like The dude's face down on the mat and Henzo like stomps on the back of his neck and walks on him.
2: What a great thing to do. And dude, also, great, also, what a nice how, guy.
0: How old is Henzo? And did he not get like, some massive street fight like last year?
2: Oh, yeah. But you know what's funny about all that? Henzo, probably the most
0: likable Gracie. A lot yeah, of people really- love
2: him the most. He's the most loved Gracie, I would say.
0: Well, he kind of has like the wa- like, MMA. I would say the MMA world is a sucker for the wacky uncle archetype. You know, I, I think that's part of the reason why like the popularity of people like Boss Rootin and Don Fry die hard and stuff like that. Henzo, Henzo has that same kind of vibe. He's that? he's like a slightly more violent wild uncle, you know, you know, Boss Rootin will just kind of go off on like an intoxicated rant. Don Fry is kind of like your cringy uncle that'll say something like horrifying at dinner and you're just like, oh my God, did he just say that women should be chained up next to the oven or whatever? But Henzo's more just, you know, he's he's your uncle that's going to get in a street fight as he's approaching the age of fifty, right? Or 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 somehow uh, play a role in the investigation of an Olympic swimmer in Rio.
2: And on Sunday, it might show up on the sure Dog Network radio station.
0: <laughs> Do you have that on hand? Oh, absolutely.
2: You know, I wouldn't bring it up if I didn't. Hey Beautiful. This is Henzo Grady
4: here, and you guys are listening to sure Dog Network Radio Station.
2: Whatever it is. The thing that does Pohada. the thing.
0: Yeah. Pojada, pojada, pojada in your face. Yeah.
2: Jordan Bree will talk to you on uh, Monday. Peace, homie. I love you, Nick Albert. He's he's pretty great. He just in here looking like Kit Cope in the WEC with his arm. Tribal. Get it? Don't beat me. I'm Nicky. You know you could. Or stick your dog on I me. Mean. Uh, all right. If you miss any part of this broadcast again. All access panel share.com, iTunes Music Store under podcast, uh, Google Play Store. Go subscribe or whatever it is that you do on Google. I don't even know how you do that, but uh, we're available there. Uh, what else? Eve Edwards back on Tuesday, I believe, for the neutral corner. Uh, I'll be doing something. Uh, I think we're going to catch up with Shannon Knapp, talk about Invicta FC. 19, September 23rd, Kansas City. Two titles on the line. Uh, should be fun stuff there. Uh, that's it for Jordan Breen. I'm TJ DeSantis. You just got beat down after the bell on the Sure Dog Radio Network. Have a good evening, everybody. down! Town is a tj desantis production and is property of the sure dog radio network its content is intended for private use only
1: with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time